you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking and socially distancing when and where necessary. Joined, as always, by Michael F. Florio and our producer, Steve. And uh, we are through the divisional weekend of the postseason. We've got the championship games coming up next week. That should be really, really fun. Uh, I mean, Florio, I got I to start with you. Like this week, I don't know, was it, was it as nerve-wracking as the week before? I think... For an outside observer, um, it maybe wasn't as action-packed. Uh, but I felt like in the second half, like after that third quarter, the Bills just sort of rolled, and maybe I feel like that maybe took the edge off for you. I don't know. I was more nervous this past week than I was a couple weeks ago because I I was more fearful of Lamar and, and Baltimore than I was the Colts. And the Colts made me real – it was kind of the opposite effect. Like the Colts, it felt like the Bills were in control of that game for most of the game. And then late – they they came made a comeback and made me real nervous. This game was very opposite. Like it was close for you know like three and a half qu- or two and a half quarters or so. So like at halftime, I'm still sitting there like, oh man, we need to come out. Uh, the Bills need to come out and need, they need to score a touchdown here and stuff. And then you know they get the touchdown, they get the pick six. After that, it was a lot of fun. But it, it was kind of reversed from the first week, whereas they made me sweat late. And and then this past week, they they didn't. It's the first game going into it, though, Marcus. I'm kind of like, whatever happens, happens now. Look, I, I get it, because that's sort of where I was with the 49ers last year, where, you know, at, at some point I realized they were just sort of playing with house money. And, you know, even when they got to the Super Bowl, I, I went into that game thinking, look, if they lose, sure, I'll be disappointed, but I'm not going to be upset because, you know, they they nobody expected them to get that far. So the fact that they got to the Super Bowl, the fact that they were leading through three quarters in that Super Bowl, uh, like I said, it was it was a bit of a gut punch, and I was disappointed, but I couldn't be you know, just upset about it afterwards. Uh, so, you know, like, hey, congrats to getting this far. Um, I would imagine that against the Chiefs, you're probably going to be sweating for four quarters. I don't <laughs> imagine there's going to be any time for you to sort of relax in that one. Uh, so that should be interesting. 
Uh, I do have to say, though, because there have been some head coaching hires made. And I, I gotta, I, we got to talk to our producer, Steve, here, because uh, he is our resident Lions fan on this right. show. And so you guys decided, sort of out of nowhere, to hire the South Park's PC principal, a.k.a. Dan Campbell, <laughs> uh, to be your head coach. I mean, I saw the headline and I, I really had to look over to make sure this wasn't like a fake Adam Schefter or something like that on, on Twitter or a fake, you know, like rap shield or something like that on Twitter. Um, please. I, I just want to know from the mind of a Lions fan, how you're feeling about Dan Campbell now as your head coach coming off the heels of Matt Patricia. So first of all, I, I did the same thing. I, I had to double, triple check like this is for real what happened. Uh, do, you, do you remember when you were a kid? And Christmas morning was coming up and there's something you really, really wanted, say a football. Mm-hmm. You open that present and um, it's like a, a bocce ball or a cricket <laughs> ball. It's just something you, you don't really know what to do with. Um, it, it might be fun. It, it, it might be good. Uh, we just we really don't know what it is. And that's kind of how uh, we feel about the signing here of Dan Campbell. Uh, I guess he was Jared Cook's coach. So uh, we, we've, got, we've got that going. Uh, we were really looking for, we were thought we were looking for a defensive-minded coach um, because the Lions seem to be able to draft or assign players that don't really work out too often on defense. So maybe a defensive-minded coach might fix that. But uh, we got a tight end coach. Um, and so uh, not to say that Dan Campbell might not, isn't the answer, Um we just don't know anything about Dan Campbell. And there were some really, really shiny toys that could have been available for this Christmas morning. And, uh, and we got a bocce ball. I, I, one, I love, I love that analogy. Uh, two, I mean, so you talk about like, the lions defensively were one of the worst teams in the league this past year. Again. Right? So, right. So maybe, like you said, maybe you bring in a defensive coach to shore that up on the other side, you've got a, talented wide receiver in Kenny Galladay who just had a weird story at the end of the year where he was, you know, they didn't put him on IR, but they also, you know, didn't feel like they wanted to play him. You're trying to figure out what's going to happen with Matt Stafford. Is he going to still be there? So maybe you bring in like an offensive minded coach. Instead you bring in a tight ends coach, which I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's like asking an either or question. And then, you know, the, it's like asking a yes or no question and somebody responding with potato. Like it just doesn't make <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess he was an interim head coach with the Dolphins for a yeah. while. Mm-hmm. So he was. Uh, how, were they any good then, the Dolphins? Uh, it was one of those things where I think they sort of overachieved for a few weeks. And then after, you know, about three or four weeks, I feel like they came back to earth. Uh, I just remember the Dan Campbell era flooding my Twitter timeline with those PC principal memes from South Park because they look identical. If you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go on, on Google and Google PC principal and then Google Dan Campbell. Oh, yeah. and you realize you'll realize that they are probably the same. I don't know if Trey Parker and Matt Stone, uh, you know, looked at Dan Campbell when they came up with this character. I have no idea, but they look pretty much identical. Um, yeah. So this is a long way of saying good luck to you, Lions fans. <laughs> yep, yep. So this we get two Super Bowls. This is our first one with signing a new head coach. Um, <laughs> it, went, it went moderately. And we have one more Super Bowl still ahead of us. That's the draft. Um, and then uh, we'll we'll wait till the next draft. Uh, yeah. And we'll see you then. Uh, as Sean O'Hara <laughs> once told a buddy of mine who's a Lions fan, hey, at least 8 Mile was a good movie. Uh, we got that going for you. Ah, uh, all right. Well, thanks for that. Um Okay, let's continue along, though, with our exit interviews. We are uh, numbers 17 through 20 in the draft slots. We're starting to get close to the end here. Uh, in fact, this this episode has our first team with a winning record, uh, but not, not, not the first team off the board. The first team we're going to talk about is the Raiders, who are 8-8 eight and eight this year. They are in the number 17 slot. Uh, and, Again, the Raiders this year, I felt like Florio, they started off kind of interesting at the beginning of the year. They were interesting, then they hit a lull, then they got interesting for like a week or two, and then it all fell apart sort of down the stretch. Um, There were moments when I thought Derek Carr looked kind of good. There were moments when we were excited about Josh Jacobs. But I think when you talk about what was consistently good from start to finish – I feel like it starts and ends sort of with Darren Waller this year. And beyond that, it was sort of a head scratcher as to what you could really hang your hat on each week with this team. 
I completely agree, Marcus. When I saw the question was, what did the Raiders do well this year? My answer was just Darren Waller. Like, <laughs> he he was the tight end two this year. He finished 34 points behind Travis Kelsey, and that may sound like a lot, but he was also the only tight end to finish, I believe it's like within 150 fantasy points of mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey, uh, and then no other tight end was even within 100 of Darren Waller. So, I mean, these two guys are just head and shoulders above the rest, and he – Waller, I mean, he showed us that he has a consistent floor, but he also showed us that he has just as high of a ceiling as any tight end in the league, including Travis Kelsey. When uh, in one game this year, he scored, it was like 40, 45 fantasy points, I believe, the most since Shannon Sharp scored in 2002 by a tight end. Like he, his ceiling is there, the floor is there. He is the big bright spot on this team. And besides him, Marcus, the Raiders are just in football purgatory, right? Like <laughs> they'll go seven and nine, eight and eight each year. Like, like you have Gruden under this contract. They have Derek Carr, who I mean, just I think they should move on from now because I think this is as far as Derek Carr can kind of take them. And I'd rather be taking shots that'll get us over the hump than just staying five hundred if I'm a Raiders fan. But that that's my thoughts on this team right now. I think I think you know, you're sort of spot on. I mean, first you talk about Darren Waller, and we're at a point where we're talking about Travis Kelsey, not just in the first round, but we're talking about how high in the first round Travis Kelsey is going to go. Then I think you throw in Waller, George Kittle, you know, with the expectation that he'll be healthy next year. And I think those three guys, I would be surprised if any one of them lasts beyond maybe the fourth round next year. I just think people are, are going to want that security at tight end, and Waller has offered it. Um Look, and I thought I thought he was going to regress this year. I thought after what he did a couple seasons ago, I didn't think he could repeat uh, this past year. But he not only repeated, he surpassed it uh, this past year. I think it just proves that a John Gruden offense is very tight end friendly, especially when you're a tight end as athletic and productive catching the football as Darren Waller is. As for the Raiders as a team, I think purgatory is sort of maybe the, the right description. Um Look, at one point, they win three in a row. They get to six and three. Then they have that very close loss to the Chiefs. Uh, was that a Sunday night game, I believe it was? They, they lose that heartbreaker to the Chiefs. But at that point, you know, it's like they're six and four. And everybody's like, there's something there, right? It's like, okay, you lost, but you took the champs uh, to the wire. You beat them earlier in the season. Everything seemed to be to be coming into place. Then they get drilled by the Falcons the very next week. Uh, they they need a miracle to pull one out against the Jets. And then they lose three in a row to the Colts, Chargers, and Dolphins. It was pretty much a wrap at that point. And so the, the Raiders are sort of a mess football-wise. They don't seem to have anything consistent. And, you know, but at least they've got Darren Waller, I guess. Uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, they, they don't really, I think, have a plan at quarterback right now. Uh, Josh Jacobs... You want to talk about what needs to get better. I mean, Josh Jacobs, his usage rates, I think, were just inconsistent. They still don't want to use him in the passing game. Uh, Their wide receivers continue to be a mess. Henry Ruggs was a no-show for much of the year. Uh, You know, I I liked Brian Edwards, but he didn't really contribute much of anything. Tyrell Williams was hurt. It's a mess, Florio. I mean, beyond Darren Waller, there's so much that this team needs to get better in order to compete, especially offensively in 2021, I, I don't even know where to start, but it's just there's so many holes right now in this offense. Yeah, I was. you mentioned Brian Edwards. He scored a touchdown in week 17, and I truly was like, I forgot all about <laughs> Brian Edwards. And this is someone that we were hyping up a lot in, in the pre, at least like as a fantasy community. He was a pretty big sleeper, and Henry Ruggs flashed at times. I, I think these rebuilding of this offense has to start at the quarterback position because I think Derek Carr is just kind of holding this offense back yet. Like is Mariota the answer? I'm not sold on that either, but I think Carr will give you what he gives you like 4,000 passing yards. Like this year he threw for 4,100 yards. It was a career high. He's not going to give you big yardage numbers. He's not going to give you big touchdown numbers. So I I think that they would be better suited to go in another direction. They seem to love him. And then uh, as Josh Jacobs though, to your point, like, he was a borderline first-round pick coming into fantasy, and there was a lot of debates of if, is he an RB1 or not. And I was on the side, he's a high-end RB2. I would not want him as my top running back because I didn't think they throw the ball to him enough. Then week one happened, Marcus, and he had six targets <laughs> and four catches. And I was like, he's going to make me look very, very silly this year. <laughs> and then he just became the old Josh Jacobs again. The targets were inconsistent. The usage was inconsistent. He finishes the RB8 in total points, the RB15 in points per game. So I think he's going to be a, a highly debated player again next season. 
But I go back to that. He had over 20 fantasy points in five games this year and under 14 in every other game. So there's no consistency with him there. And to me, I still value him as an RB2, not an RB1. I mean, just those spike weeks, right? I mean, th- th- I think that was enough to kind of keep us coming back. But you're right. It was, it was you know, he, he'll give you 20 points and he follows that up with like six. Uh, it, it just, it's frustrating. And it just makes me wonder, I mean, did we overdraft him or was he overdrafted? Because people talked about him as a late first round pick. Was he overdrafted? Will we learn our lesson next year? Do you think everybody's just going to say, you know what? I still believe, or are we going to look at the, the totals? And not the week to week. Are we going to like you know go through this same headache again with him next year when we're talking about Josh Jacobs? Is oh, you know what I can take him on the turn and feel okay with it. I think I think if you are a Josh Jacobs supporter and you were one coming into this season and, and beyond that, like yeah, you're going to hang your hat on. Look, he was the RB eight. He stayed healthy. Look how many RBs got hurt and all that. And then if you're like me and you were like a little bit lower on him and you're still having these same concerns, you're going to be like I I understand he was the RB eight. But in points per game, he was the RB15, and it was maddening if you actually had him on your roster. I think that is a big thing in fantasy as well. Like, uh, people who didn't roster, like, if you didn't roster Tyler Lockett this past season, you're going to look at his season and be like, he had a career best year, and now his asking price is probably going to go down. So I'm going to be interested in him next year. But if you're like me and you had Tyler Lockett on your fantasy team, you're like, that year was maddening. I'll take less <laughs> fantasy points if he can go back to being as consistent as he was two years ago. So it, it kind of depends on, I think, your perspective and if you had these guys or not. But to me, Josh Jacobs is someone that I would rather have as my second running back, probably in the second round. He's going to go again this year. But I would not feel great taking him in the first round at all. I wouldn't. And in my early top 12 running backs, he was left on the outside uh, just looking in. He is going to be one of those fantasy Rorschach tests next year, right? Where it is, it's going to be like, you will sort of see what you want to see in him. It's going to be like, um, maybe not to this extreme, but it'll be a little bit like what Ronald Jones was this past year, right? Where if you loved Ronald Jones, you found a way to, to stand for him at every opportunity. If you didn't like Ronald Jones, you looked at everything as a way to sort of like, you know, well, actually, about. I mean, you and I were sort of on opposite sides of the Ronald Jones fans this past year. I'll take that L, too. I mean, so, you know, it turned out good for those of us who loved him. Um, and I think but I think Josh Jacobs is going to be the same way this, this upcoming season. Like people are going to look at him and say, well, look, there's really nobody back there to take touches from him. He's going to be the workhorse. There's an opportunity there. Um but I think everybody's going to look and say, well, yeah, but, you know, the opportunity is spotty. I don't know what to do with him. It. It, it's going to be frustrating. We could say the workhorse thing. He had no competition this year, but Devontae Booker was coming in and taking him <laughs> off the field at times. I don't think it matters who the other back is there. As To me, it matters what John Gruden wants to do. And if he wants to get Jacob some rest at times, he's going to do it. I, Jacobs, to me, Marcus, is one of those players that, like, you could watch him play and be like, this guy is so talented. He is so great. Why don't they give him the ball every play? But then you kind of got to be like, well, they're not t- giving him the ball every play and they're taking him off the fields at times. So uh, to me, it, it's kind of different perspectives, I guess, arguing it out. But I'll, you know me, Marcus, I'm on the side of if the coach isn't using you, I don't care how talented you are. I mean, I, just, I think that is maybe the primary rule to this. And for all the other things we talk about and all the excitement we generate, um, you know, look, uh, look. For all the things we wanted for Alvin Kamara, Sean Payton kept playing Taysom Hill. <laughs> it didn't matter how good Alvin Kamara was, but Taysom Hill was scoring rushing touchdowns from the 10-yard line and in. It just didn't really matter. Um, all right, let's move on to the Dolphins, who this is our first team in this series that has a winning record. They were 10-6. and six, uh, a, a soul-crushing loss, though, at the end of the season keeps them out of the playoffs. Uh, your Bills actually did that to them to keep them out of the postseason. So instead of being a playoff team, they're instead drafting in the number 18 slot. Uh, I don't really know what to say as an overview for the Dolphins, so I'll just ask you. I mean, when you look at this team, what about them did you think was good in 2020? I think everything that was good for them is everything we don't really care about for fantasy. Like <laughs> Their defense, they were one of the top defenses in the league. They, they have so much talent on the defensive side of the ball. Brian Flores, I think, proved to everyone in Miami, like, you have a good head coach now on your hands. Like, like this is the guy. You, you found him. I don't think, though, they did enough on offense at all to make anyone, at least to make myself, feel comfortable about this team going forward. Like, am I convinced that Tua is the long-term answer here? 
no. Like, he struggled to the point that he was benched twice. Like, it, it was kind of frustrating if you, I guess, were a fan of the team or anything, but I thought it was a weird decision to kind of sit to a, when when you started him. I thought everything should have been about developing him long-term. It still was about making the playoffs, though, at times. So he struggled. Uh, you saw Miles Gaskins played pretty well, but he was inconsistent uh, availability-wise. And then, like, Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki, the two top weapons that we were excited about for fantasy were anything but what we had hoped they could be. And and the scarier part to me is both were, signi- especially Parker, significantly better with Ryan Fitzpatrick than they were with Tua. So coming into this season, this offense for fantasy – To me, there's a lot more question marks than there were answers uh, figured out this season. I agree. And I think the things that were, quote unquote, good weren't necessarily good as much as they were better than anticipated. Right. Like Miles Gaskin was better than we expected because, look, we came into the year asking, you know, who is who's the top running back in Miami? At the start of the year, we were arguing between Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. And the answer turned out to be Miles Gaskin. Or Savan Ahmed. I mean, that's that's sort of where we were. It's not that either one of them were great. They were just better than we thought they were going to be, mostly because we didn't think about them at all at the start of the year. Um, you know, we started we started sort of debating how much would uh, Preston Williams eat into what Devontae Parker was going to do. And it, it ended up being sort of, I guess, an incomplete because Williams got hurt again. And so that opened things up for, for Devontae Parker to sort of be the lead wide receiver. But still... Uh, he didn't get to 800 yards this year, uh, had just four touchdowns. It was OK. It wasn't great. Gasicki was definitely a disappointment from what we thought he would be. I mean, the 700 yards, uh, the 53 catches were were nice. But considering, I think, what we thought his upside was going to be, it wasn't great. He had a long drought in the middle of the season where it was just hard to rely on him. And I'm sure a lot of folks just you know, gave up the ghost and dropped him all together. So it, it, it was that there wasn't anything that I looked at and was like, yeah, this was really good. This is something I think we can build on. Um, it was just it was just better than we thought it could be, uh, which I guess didn't say a lot because I don't know that we had huge expectations, especially at the running back spot, maybe at wide receiver. I think we were excited to see Tua. It just it, it just was okay, I think, in the end. So I guess that being said, I mean, is, is, it, is it as simple as saying the Dolphins need Tua to get better in order to make everybody else better. I mean, is is it really based on what happens with Tua's progression in the offseason? Keeping in mind, and people pointed this out, we're talking about a guy who was coming off of a pretty devastating hip injury, right? Where you know people were worried about him you know, being able to walk for a while, let alone uh, going out and playing in football. Look, this is the same hip injury that essentially ended Bo Jackson's, you know, it ended his football career, sort of really put a crimp on his baseball career as well. So the fact that Tua is out there playing football is sort of a miracle, but it really is. Is it as simple as saying, you know, if the Dolphins get a healthy and productive Tua Tungavailoa next year, that everything else in that offense gets better? Yeah, I think so, because the quarterback position is the utmost important position in any sport. So if he can take those next steps, and again, I, I know I said like Tua Tungavailoa didn't play great this year, and I don't think he did. That's not me in any way saying like write this guy off because – I'm a Bills fan, man. I, I the, the transition from Josh Allen year one to this year is night and day. You wouldn't even think they were the same person if you watched it. So I, I again, and Tua came in as a much more hyped up prospect uh, with a lot, a lot of pedigree around him. So yes, I'm not willing to write him off. Um, but I do, for fantasy purposes, I have big concerns about this offense for next year. So. For me, really, like I'm hoping that they they bring back Fitzy as a backup. I know that's no guarantee, because um, I would like an insurance policy there in case Tua just it, it doesn't, you know, take the next steps and, and it's something similar to this past season. But I think a lot of people are going to be pretty low on this offense coming into fantasy. Tua maybe could be one that I see getting some hype, and I think Mike Gusecki will get hype as well just because tight ends. But like <laughs> I I think Devontae Parker is going to go later in 2021 than he did in 2020 i don't think uh maybe if it's just miles gaskin as the lead running back he'll go earlier than those other running back than the two guys from this past season but those guys were going in like round six i don't expect miles gaskin to go a whole lot sooner than that so i think for fantasy a lot of these pieces are going to go later in drafts but if Tua 
can take the next step and play a lot better, then that is just going to lead to those guys being even bigger values. And that is what wins you leagues, like finding these guys later in rounds that can end up, you know, really surpassing their ADP. So saying all that, and you talked about running backs, um, because the one, the one positive thing, or one of the positive things I should say about the running back situation was that whoever it was, he was the guy, right? When it was Miles Gaskin, they went pretty much exclusively with Miles Gaskin. When it was Savan Ahmed, they went almost exclusively with Savan Ahmed. So you sort of knew that whoever was the starter, whoever was the healthy guy, that's who was going to get the majority of the opportunity. Uh, you know, Jordan Howard's not there. Uh, you know, Matt Breida was kind of a non-factor. I'd be surprised if, if maybe he's there again next season. Knowing what we have seen, knowing who's currently on the roster, what sort of approach are you taking with the Dolphins running backs in your drafts next year? So as of right now, like if they don't add like draft or sign a big running back and they're going into next year with a RB tandem of Gaskin and Savan Ahmed, I, I agree with you, Marcus. Like I love the fact that they used one primary running back and that thinking is why I got so sucked into Kenyon Drake this past season. But I think it's a little bit different here. Uh, Gaskin is not a player like Drake. He is not going to come with a bunch of hype. Uh, I don't expect like that. We're not going to be talking about the Dolphins offense potentially being one of the best in the league. Like we were with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense. So I realistically think that Miles Gaskin, I could see him going in like rounds five or six as a low end RB two or high end RB three. Um, because I think there's going to be people like us, Marcus, who were like, Hey, this guy was pretty good last year when he got the opportunity. There's value to be had there. But I think a lot of people are going to see the names Miles Gaskin and be like, he's solid. I can get him. You know, there's other better, more exciting running backs or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's going to kind of lead to him sliding a little bit. So if he goes in like rounds five or six as, and I can get him as like my RB3, I'll be interested. But if he comes with some hype and goes a little bit higher than that, I'll probably won't have him on many teams. Uh, real quick, 12 team. You know, redraft you know, standard one quarterback leagues. Are you drafting Tua? No. <laughs> Tua, I mean, yeah, maybe he has some upside, but like there's, I think, legitimately nine quarterbacks who could be the QB one next year, and he's not even anywhere close to that. And then there's still like that group doesn't include like Tom Brady and, and these other more proven quarterbacks who I think are still useful pieces. So I probably won't have Tua on any of my teams next year. And I would also say, like, I would trade Tua and whatever it took to get to Sean Watson in Miami if I were, <laughs> if I were the Dolphins. I mean, yeah, you, you've got you got a window that's starting to open right now uh, if you're the Dolphins, right? Like, obviously, you've got to contend with the Bills in your division for the foreseeable future. But your window to being really competitive is is just opening right now. Um, if you could get to Sean Watson, uh, look, I, I think there are maybe, you know, 12 to 15 teams that don't need Deshaun Watson. Everybody else should be picking up the phone. You know, everybody else should be picking up the phone and saying, you know, what, what will it take to get Watson uh, over our side? So we'll see. Um, all right. So next we go to Washington. It is the football team. They were seven and nine, which they are the only team in this group with a losing record. Weird thing, by the way, uh, just an aside. I was just looking yesterday. There were no teams that finished nine and seven this year. Um, we had, we had some seven and nine teams and some eight and eight teams, some 10 and six teams, no team finished with nine wins this year. It doesn't mean anything. It was just a weird thing. I noticed when I was sort of going over standings. Usually you get a couple of, of nine and seven teams in there along the way. It didn't happen this year. Uh, I, I don't know if it's ever happened. I, I would think maybe, I don't know. Uh, anyway, that was just weird. Uh, but the, the football team, there's no analysis there. <laughs> it was just weird. It's the worst spot you could be in football, too, I think, nine and seven, because right. late pick, you just probably missed out on the playoffs, <laughs> and you're just going to be miserable all offseason. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even the Dolphins, they missed the playoffs, but you're like, we had a 10-win season, you know, like, whatever. You uh, hang your head on that. Nine yeah. doesn't sound as great. Nine doesn't sound as great at all. So, uh, like I said, there's no analysis. It's just a weird thing that I noticed. Um so the football team, they were seven and nine. Uh, they just missed out on the playoffs. Uh, and they are picking 19th. Uh, actually, they did not miss out on play. I shouldn't say that. They did. They made the playoffs this year. Uh, so, yeah, in fact, we are. this is the first of the playoff teams 
uh, that we have here. So they, so they made the why, Yeah, that's why they go behind. That's the why they're behind the. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we solved that mystery. Great. Um, <laughs> so here we go. So they are seven and nine. They're picking 19s because they did make the playoffs. They uh, they won the division. Duh. What am I saying? Uh, how did I? How can I forget that whole Giants Eagles kerfuffle we had at the end of the year? Uh, <laughs> you know, because of, of what happened. Um, Obviously, what was good for them is that they made the playoffs with a losing record. That was pretty great. Um, but beyond that, I, I look at I look at what happened with Antonio Gibson, him just sort of having the C's part and becoming the starting running back as a guy who barely played running back in college and doing some really good things with it. I thought that was good. I thought Terry McLaurin uh, having another solid year was outstanding for them. Do we count Logan Thomas among things that were good? I mean, he finishes the year as a top five fantasy tight end, but I mean, that comes with a giant asterisk, mostly because of the position. So I think for me, what was good, it was Gibson, it was McLaurin, uh, and I guess the defense, but that doesn't really help us so much fantasy wise. If there's if there's something else that I'm missing, please enlighten me here. No, I, I think I, I would include logan thomas i think but that's more so because of just tight ends like i think that he is a tight end that you can yeah i'm not gonna obviously go into drafts next year being like all right one of my top you know four or five picks i want to take logan (laughs) thomas but if i missed out on one of the top guys and you know he fell to me like I, i wouldn't be upset i think there's worse tight ends than him in there but the biggest spotlight the bright spot to me was antonio gibson because i i was I was questioning him coming into the year, saying he had 33 carries. His thing, you know, like we always say, like, Marcus, the Cam Akers ran behind a bad O-line. His thing was Antonio Gibson, who had 33 carries as a running back in college. And it it didn't hold him back at all. No preseason, no experience at the position. Didn't matter. RB 13, and he would have been a lot higher had he not hurt his ankle down the stretch because he he – left that game real early, so he scored like three fantasy points and then did not get double digits again the rest of the year. He was clearly playing hampered, but before that, he was a top 10 running back. Uh, And then Terry McLaurin, we said he was quarterback proof for most of the year, but we were proved wrong because Alex Smith showed that he is a quarterback that can hurt him. Uh, He averaged just seven and a half targets per game with Smith and was at 10 and a half with all the other quarterbacks. And he finished as the wide receiver 20 this year, Marcus, with Dwayne Haskin, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and Taylor Haneke throwing him the ball. So if they can get a proven, you know, a a quarterback, a steady quarterback even would be an upgrade. Uh, I think that Terry McLaurin can be a wide receiver one and a potential league winner. It just they need someone consistent getting him the ball. I think that's that's sort of the thing is and it has been the story for McLaurin's career in his first couple of years in the NFL has just been the number of quarterbacks he has played. Not just the number of quarterbacks, but the number of let's be kind less than stellar quarterbacks that he has played with in the first couple years of his career. Uh, Obviously Washington has decided they are moving on from Dwayne Haskins. They let him go late in the season. So they're still sort of shuffling things around. And so I guess it it leads us to the fact of what needs to improve versus my other question about this team had been, what does the quarterback situation, how does that impact how we feel about Gibson and McLaurin next year? And so I feel like they all sort of merge, right? Because we're, we're talking about the football team, the way we talk about some of these other teams, right? The way we talked about the Raiders and the Dolphins and, you know, you, you name the other teams we've talked about. So much of what happens offensively next year is going to hinge on what they do quarterback wise. And Alex Smith was a great story this year. You know, the, the multiple surgeries he had, I'm talking about him, uh, you know, losing his leg potentially and and worried about, you know, just his, his livelihood, his health long-term. And and for him to, to battle through all of that, get back on the field and help this team win a division and get to the playoffs. uh, That is amazing on its own. But just from a pure football standpoint, Alex Smith is not the same guy he was during his heyday in Kansas City uh, or early in his career in San Francisco. It has to get better at quarterback. And I don't know what they do. I don't know if there's somebody in the draft because they are picking so far down that could come in and be that that hero to turn them around. I don't think there's going to be anybody in free agency. Look, maybe they swing a deal for Deshaun Watson. I don't know. But until the quarterback spot gets better – I feel like there's sort of a cap on what happens production wise 
for Antonio Gibson and for Terry McLaurin. And both of those guys, and even Logan Thomas, all three of those guys can be good players, but I feel like their ceiling is going to be fairly limited until we feel like there's a quarterback back there that can actually move this offense and be a threat on his own. Uh, otherwise, you know, they're going to be guys that you're taking as, you know, McLaurin, maybe a, a high end wide receiver too. Gibson, a high end running back too. Thomas kind of that late round tight end. I don't know, Floyd, that they get better until the quarterback position gets better in Washington. Completely, completely agree. Uh, the one player that I feel okay about, regardless of the quarterback, is Antonio Gibson. Uh, obviously, I think that a, the better the quarterback is, the better the offense, the more points it's going to lead to more production for Antonio Gibson. But what I love about him, they continue to like, they use him as the goal line runner. And I think that what he's going to learn over time is you don't, to me, at least in my uh, opinion, like running between the tackles is a lot easier to learn than, than running routes out of the backfield and pass blocking and that. So I think that, as he you know continues to learn to be a running back at the NFL level he's a former receiver we know he's got hands uh, and he can catch a lot of passes JD McKissick was a huge fantasy asset because they were throwing him the ball a bunch uh, but I do agree completely Marcus like it, offenses in the NFL live and die at the quarterback position and this is one I'm hoping like they didn't Henneke, I, I understand he played well in the playoffs. I'm hoping they don't get sucked into that. And, and Alex Smith was a great story, but it, it's time to move on, I think. Um, and isn't it funny how last year in the, in the offseason, the story was like, there's not a whole lot of teams that need quarterbacks. That's why, like, Winston and Dalton and all these big names struggled to – Cam Newton, like, they struggled to sign. And now I feel like more than half the league needs a quarterback again. It just happens so quickly. Life comes at you fast. Uh, you know, so you mentioned J.D. McKissick, 110 targets. That was tied for second most with Logan Thomas on, on the roster this year. Um, look, the, the the team can get out from underneath this. Not that it's a huge contract. I don't want to make it sound like J.D. McKissick is pulling down a huge number there on the on the roster. But if they decide they wanted to move on from him, right, uh, how much better does that make things for Antonio Gibson in terms of his target share because JD McKissick was it was a kind of a three-pronged passing game with McLaurin Gibson and McKissick if McKissick is there I feel like that does upgrade uh, Gibson a little bit in terms of how many targets he can get next year yeah I think it would do tremendous things for his value like from week four on McKissick was averaging nearly six catches per game like that is huge volume you said it yourself over a hundred targets like I'm not saying all of those would go to Gibson but imagine if they were throwing the ball to Gibson five, six times per game. Like, that would be tremendous. And, and he showed in flashes this year, like, hey, I can catch the ball out of the backfield. You throw me the ball, I can make some plays. And, like, we talk a lot about Marcus, like, oh, throw Derrick Henry the ball more. This guy has size like that. Imagine him just bowling <laughs> ball coming at you now with space and running room in front of him. It's one of those things I, I just view it as, like, do whatever you have to do to get your best players the ball as much as you possibly can. Gibson being one of, if not their best offensive playmaker, get him the ball as much as you can. So whether McKissick is on the roster or not, I am hopeful that we're going to see more targets go Antonio Gibson's way. And if that's the case, I think he can easily be a top 10 running back, maybe even higher. One thing that was good about this offense, though, is that it was pretty concentrated, right? Generally speaking, we knew it was McLaurin, uh, Gibson, it was Thomas. Uh, I guess you sprinkle in some McKissick there. You take McKissick out of the picture, suddenly it becomes a, a three-headed attack uh, there. And one other thing, does this do, do the football team, does the football team, uh, do they need to add a receiver? I mean, for our purposes, I know no, because we don't want one more guy in there. But I feel like for just the the efficiency of the offense – I do feel like they need another receiver to sort of take some of that pressure off of Terry McLaurin next year. Yeah, I don't think they need like a Allen Robinson or, or like that. Like, yeah, that would be great if they could sign a big name wide receiver. But I think they have their wide receiver one and I think they know that. But they need the Robin to their Batman. I agree. Like you can't Cam Sims, Steven Sims, Dontrell Inman. Those were like guys that you were lining up as your wide receiver two this year. That's not scaring defenses. That's not going to really get a whole lot of a whole lot done to open things up for the other guys. So I do think they need to upgrade receiver, but hopefully it's not like someone that's going to come in and take away work from McLaurin. Hopefully it's someone more that can just help him.
Right. Uh, all right. So our last team in this round of exit interviews is the Chicago Bears. Uh, they squeaked into the playoffs at eight and eight. They are picking in the number 20 slot uh, this year. Uh, had a rough game against the Saints. They you know, they had their shot early and Javon Wims dropped an easy touchdown in the end zone. And it was sort of downhill from there. But hey, at least, you know, uh, they got the green slime at the end for whatever that's worth. Um <laughs> I look at what was good with this team. Allen Robinson continues to ball out regardless of what the quarterback situation is. We'll see whether or not he's back there next year. It sounds like he has checked out. I don't know if you saw the quote from him uh, maybe a week or so ago where they asked about the possibility of him coming back. And and he said, yeah, maybe we can get something done. But then again, we've had 365 days to get something done. So that to me sounded like I'm gone. (laughs) <laughs> Didn't he say too, like, I don't love this city or something like that? And that's usually the opposite. Like, usually athletes are like, I love my fan, the fans, the city and everything. I think he even said, like, yeah, I don't really love this city. And I was just like, whoa, that, that's <laughs> telling us anything. That is really tough. So I love the city of Chicago. I think Chicago is great. Uh, you know, if it weren't for the fact that they have actual, like, Game of Thrones-type winter, like, I consider living there. Um, but as a native Californian, I don't really do winter so much. So that that's a big strike against against the city of Chicago. But otherwise, I, I think it's a great city. Um, <laughs> they got good pizza. I've, I've eaten that. It's yeah, very good. You know? Look, I've had I've had some great times at Wrigley Field. I'm not even a Cubs fan, but uh, an afternoon at Wrigley, it's a good time. I, I, I'm definitely not going to knock it. Um, so Allen Robinson was good. David Montgomery had a great finish to the season. Is that it? Was there anything else about this team that, that stood out to you fantasy-wise this year? I think the only other player that might get some fantasy hype next year, and I think he will, I think it's Cole Komet um, because tight end again. Um, but he started to get more work as the year went on. He was, I believe, the first tight end uh, drafted in the 2020 draft, or maybe not, but one of the first. And just a good athlete, former baseball player at Notre Dame. And they, uh, they when they started to phase out Jimmy Graham, we saw some hype starting for him in fantasy. The, the annoying part was they would use Komet in between the 20s and then in the red zone, Jimmy Graham would come in and score a touchdown. But it felt like, you know, him catching a touchdown against his former team and running directly off the field, like <laughs> probably his last go around, maybe in the NFL, maybe with the Bears. But I am I'm expecting Cole Komet to get some hype next year as well. And besides that, Anthony Miller, Darnell Mooney, like, no. Yeah, I, I did love Komet, especially down the stretch. And it was frustrating to see him, you know, running more routes, seeing more targets. But it was Graham that was scoring the touchdowns. And so, like, it was hard to sort of make the case publicly that, hey, Cole Komet's a guy that you really need to add. Like, he's a, a nice stash or he has a nice uh, some nice upside when, like, week after week, the, the fantasy points uh, pointed toward Jimmy Graham, you know, like – and look, I know you know this feeling too. It's just, it's like you're just like shouting into the void. You're like, no, this player actually is really good. And everybody's like, yeah, but look at the fantasy points. And it's it's hard to sort of have a counter argument uh, <laughs> like that. Um, so I look at what needs to improve. And uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's the quarterback. It's the, you know, it, okay, I'll list. Will Mitchell Trubisky be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears in 2021? What is your gut feeling telling you? No, my like if I'm a Bears fan and and Mitch Trubisky did enough in a cakewalk final six weeks of the playoff, like of the regular season to to become your quarterback again. Like like to me, I think the three and a half seasons or whatever it was that you saw before this final stretch is the real Mitchell Trubisky. Like, is he better than Nick Foles? Yes. Can you take him as your backup? Sure. But should you go into next season with him as your starting quarterback? No, I do not think so. Because at best, I think you're getting another similar season similar to this year. Very up and down. Uh, maybe you sneak into the playoffs, but that's about it. Like, that's your ceiling. And if you want to live in football purgatory, Marcus, as, as the Chicago Bears, then go ahead. But if if it was my decision, no, he would not be the starting quarterback next year. I don't think he will be either. I don't think he will be either. Um, I think it would be interesting. It'd be, you know, they'd be the source of jokes if somehow they were the team that swung a deal for Deshaun Watson after they passed on Deshaun Watson <laughs> to go get uh, Trubisky in the first place. If they somehow have to end up giving up extra assets to go and and trade for a guy that they could have drafted the first time around, that would be very, very funny. That would be my my second my favorite trade scenario would be the Texans trading Watson to Miami for their own draft pick. 
That would be funny also, yes. <laughs> they, they get their, their, their number three pick back uh, from the Dolphins. That would be pretty hilarious as well. By the way, I'm as we sit here, I'm looking at Mitchell Trubisky's uh, page on Pro Football Reference, and uh, they have listed his 2021 MVP award, his Nickelodeon Valuable Player Award, uh, is listed on his Pro Football Reference page. So shout out to PFR for uh, recognizing true accomplishments uh, where they come. Um, but yeah, this, this team, uh, look, uh, until they figure out the quarterback situation, it's sort of like what we talked about with Washington that, you know, whoever their number one wide receiver is, and it probably won't be Allen Robinson next year. Uh, there's a ceiling there, uh, with David Montgomery. Okay. So here's the thing with, with Montgomery, his second half of the season, right. When we were all, you know, telling people go acquire this guy, uh, he could be a league winner. He could help you get to the playoffs. He could help you win a championship. And that turned out to be pretty accurate. He was great down the stretch. Real or a mirage, what we saw from him in the second half, is this who David Montgomery actually is? Or did he just take advantage of some really great matchups in the back part of the year? So, again, Marcus, I'm with you. Like I was saying, the trade for him, I think he could be a league winner. I'm going to take my victory lap there, but I think that's where it ends. Like I think what we saw of David Montgomery was more mirage than real because – twofold like yes I'm not going to take away it was great to see him playing well and showing that burst and you know finding the end zone as much as he did but cakewalk schedule like you said like they played the Jaguars the Vikings the the Lions were in there like I remember the Texans like there was a stretch where every week in the matchups article that I write I would be like David Montgomery's matchup hot streak continues because he faced like the top four teams in allowing fantasy points to running backs like back to back to back to back but that's not only the like the biggest thing I'm going to hold against him. Tariq Cohen getting hurt was mm-hmm. huge for his value. Like mm-hmm. after Tariq Cohen went down, uh, David Montgomery was a different running back. He he had 48 receptions from week four on. That was fourth amongst running backs. He was averaging 21 touches a game without Cohen, just 16 with Cohen. And with Cohen being back next year, and we know how much they love using him in the passing game, if Montgomery starts to go back to the, the usage that he had before Cohen got hurt, and what I mean by that is where he dominates the groundwork but is on the short end of the stick in the passing game, I think then he is more an RB2 and one that, yes, he has a high ceiling at times, but this offense, too, can easily hold you back, So uh, especially if it's Trubisky again. So if right now, I don't feel great even saying Montgomery can be an RB1, and I think there are people that are going to believe in this past year and have him ranked as such. That's sort of my fear, right, is that the, the asking price in drafts has gone up based on what happened at the end of the season, and I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how much – sanity uh kind of gets thrown into the mix right how much we look back at who it was that he played down the stretch and as you mentioned the the Tariq Cohen situation because that was part of what kind of got me excited about Montgomery is realizing that they still needed a back to throw the football to and he was kind of the only guy there so he absorbed a lot of those targets but when Cohen comes back I mean what it was a couple of years ago didn't Tariq Cohen have like 100 targets I think a couple of years ago um yeah I, I don't know that he comes back and gets 100 targets again, but even if he comes back and he gets 60 to 70 targets, uh, that's taken a lot off of David Montgomery's plate in 2021. So I just feel like the the asking price is going to go up, but he may end up being overdrafted if Cohen comes back and this goes back to what we saw in 2019 or even in the early stages of 2020 um, before everything sort of went sideways and Montgomery became kind of a true RB1. Uh, in that offense so uh, Marcus, remember yeah. the uh the the graphic of him from college where like, <laughs> uh, and we like he got made fun of that uh, in, not really fairly because it wasn't him saying it but like right. we, everyone <laughs> used it i'm kind of hoping that this summer we go full circle and people start using that again to hype up david montgomery uh, yeah, if, I, if if you guys don't know what we're talking about, it, it floats around on Twitter whenever he made a big play. It was from him at Iowa State, uh, and it was uh, the Frankenstein, like the part he put together, and it was feet of Saquon Barkley, vision of Le'Veon Bell, strength of Ezekiel Elliott, and athleticism of Sony Michelle. That that last part, <laughs> that last part is not uh, is not quite. The other three still are, you know, kind of like haha. Um, yeah, the Sony Michelle part just does, that didn't age well, like at all. <laughs> uh, so I know it kind of got thrown around, kind of as a joke. But you're right; I I can imagine somebody kind of pulling that up and being like, "I don't know, 
Maybe it's real. Remember how excited? Remember how good he was? Right. Remember this is this is what he could be. Uh, so we'll we'll see if that happens. Um, all right. So that gets us to twenty uh, on Thursday. We'll go twenty one through twenty four. We are getting down to the end uh, of our exit interviews here. Um, one last thing before we wrap up, and and Steve, I want to get you back in here too because I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Um, one of the the big narratives from this past weekend was the quarterback play in that Bucks saints game. Um, you know, listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman talk about how amazing it was that you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees were doing all this at their advanced age. And let me just tell you that as somebody who is three months older than Tom Brady, hearing about them talk about these quarterbacks uh, as though they were approaching death, uh, is a little bit disheartening. Uh, you know, I'm like, I'm three months older than Tom Brady. So what does that make me? Uh, admittedly, I haven't been, you know, hit by defensive linemen and linebackers repeatedly for the last 20 years. So maybe that helps. Uh, but I also don't eat avocado ice cream. Anyway, um, seeing now that Drew Brees is probably going to retire after that loss, uh, also seeing the number of think pieces about how amazing it is that Tom Brady is doing this at 43, it sort of made me think about when. Certainly when we see with Breeze, if he decides to actually retire and whenever Tom Brady finally retires, the amount of online hero worship we're going to see over Tom Brady, I think, is going to be unbearable at some point, especially if you're not, you know, if you weren't a Patriots fan, if you're not a Buccaneers fan, uh, it's probably going to be unbearable for the majority of us. But it also made me realize that we have not seen, to my recollection, a or in the in the Twitter era, we have not seen a you know top five all time in their sport athlete retire. Um, Michael Jordan had long since retired before Twitter came around. Uh, you know Tom Brady's still playing. LeBron is still playing. Serena Williams is still playing. Uh, Tiger Woods maybe was headed that way, but you know his legacy. You know, I don't know. It backed into a fire hydrant and uh, sort of fell apart. Um, and so it kind of made me wonder for you guys, who is the biggest athlete who has retired? Uh, I'll start with you, Steve. The biggest athlete that you have seen retire sort of in this Twitter era, say in the last, let's call it 10 years, right? Who's the biggest athlete you think has retired uh, that we saw this sort of endless Twitter hype about? Okay, so I have a couple thoughts here. Can we do points for shock value? If you assign yeah. points for shock value, I think the biggest NFL retirement would be Andrew Luck, just mm. kind of out of nowhere. Now, he doesn't have the career achievements, but he did have that trajectory going on, and we really didn't expect it to to occur. It, it kind of came out of nowhere, kind of left the Colts scrambling a little bit. Uh, that's the best comparison I think I have uh, for Twitter-era NFL retirement. The other one I think that was kind of wacky outside of football, uh, Conor McGregor who's retired like six times. <laughs> um, not really the same, but he did. He, I think he retires just to get that like greatest of all time uh, debate going. And then he comes back and then he'll like do one bout and then he'll do it again. That's those, that's the closest thing I can think of. I will say it's funny. You mentioned Andrew Luck. I, you know, the day he retired, when he announced his retirement, uh, our pal, Patrick Claibon, uh, had was having a, a party at the cookout at his house, and it was filled with NFL media types. You know, most of us there probably you know, worked for the network or something in some form or fashion. And I don't remember who who saw it first on their phones on Twitter, but there was a point where the party came to a halt for like half an hour. Because everybody there, in fact, there were pictures. Somebody toasted on Twitter pictures of all of us at the party just stopping what we're doing, like plates in one hand, phones in the other, staring and just scrolling to like, is this is this really happening? Uh, who's on news updates? Do we have to stop and do pods? Like, I mean, it was just like it was like a, a breaking news situation where the a whole party just came to a halt, and you had all these you know, spouses and significant others standing around staring at each other as all of us kind of like halfway went to work <laughs> on our phones uh, in the middle of this party. That was that was a, an all timer for me. Um, so, Florio, I mean, I, same question to you, though. Who who do you recognize as maybe the biggest retirement in the, this Twitter era? There's two for me. Uh, the first one was Peyton Manning, but him winning the Super Bowl and kind of going out on top like it, it wasn't all about his retirement. You know, so much was about the Super Bowl and everything. To me, I think the biggest retirement in the Twitter era was Kobe Bryant mm -hmm. because like mm -hmm. it was built up that whole year. But that night, like it, 
it was that or are the Warriors going to have the best record of all time? And I believe Kobe won the the battle of like who was watching that. And that right there and, and just the way he went out, the 60 points and then the Mamba out speech. Like I've rewatched that and I'm not someone who considered myself like a huge Lakers. Like I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm not, you know, like I liked Kobe, but he was never like my favorite player. But even when he retired, I remember thinking like, wow, like I I did not realize how big of a part of like my childhood growing up Kobe Bryant was because since I was a kid, he was the face of basketball. So that to me was number one. Um, But I do think we're going to get a few big ones on the horizon. Like you said, I think Brady and then I think LeBron will will be like one of the biggest ones ever. So with Kobe, because, you know, I I was I was kicking this around with some friends yesterday. And that's how that's how I came up with this. The thing with Kobe is one. Yes, you're right. He ended up winning that ratings war because uh, the Warriors, as they did to a lot of teams that season, they were blowing. They were winning in a blowout. So I think everybody was like, all right, well, this one's over. Let's turn and see what Kobe was doing. And then, of course, he went berserk in that fourth quarter and ended with 60 points and the Lakers ended up winning. I mean, it was a a perfect way for Kobe to go out. But I also feel like at the beginning of his career, he played second fiddle to Michael Jordan, right? Like when when Kobe came in the league, Jordan was, you know, on his last couple of years. And so there was sort of that rivalry there with Kobe trying to be the next Jordan. At the end of his career – Kobe was sort of playing second fiddle to LeBron because LeBron was very much, you know, look, Kobe, Kobe you know, goes out with 60 points that season. The Warriors win 73 games. But and I remember this acutely as a Warriors fan, that season ends with LeBron blocking Andre Iguodala's shot. Kyrie Irving hits a big one. The Cavs end up winning the championship that year. And so Kobe was kind of a nice story. But in the end, it was about the Warriors and it was about LeBron winning a title, bringing a title to Cleveland that ended up taking the headlines. And I think Kobe, um, you know, as as happens in life, ends up getting a lot more hero worship in death than I think he did in retirement. Um so I just I I don't I don't think there's ever the only ones for me that that come close uh, is Derek Jeter I think when when Derek Jeter retired and just seeing all of the the tributes you know Jay Z putting out a tribute all the all the the songs and 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 think pieces and everything the the tributes to Derek Jeter is maybe the the biggest one I can come up with um, in in the last you know decade or so uh, but I I am sort of bracing myself for the endless, endless tributes for when Tom Brady retires uh, and then when LeBron retires. Uh, if you are not fans of them, just buckle up because it's going to be a rough, <laughs> it's going to be a rough month, couple months, because it's going to go on for a while uh, when those guys retire. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. We just have we haven't had a, the, the, the good news is, Marcus, we got five years till either one retire. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> It's going to be a while before I, because both those guys are still going strong. Um, you know, I think Serena Williams, it's still going to be a while, I think, before she retires as well. Uh, you know, she's into motherhood now, but I still think, I think Serena has another act coming where she comes back strong uh, and dominates tennis for another few it, more years before it's she. It's the new athlete thing. Like, you have to prove that you can still be the best after age 40, or like, what are you doing? Right, right. Uh, I mean, look, was, I think a couple weeks ago, right, when uh, was it ABC put up that graphic of you know Tom Brady at 43 versus George Blanda at 43, <laughs> and, like, Brady looked, like, young and spry and fit, and, like, Blanda looked like somebody's grandpa at 43 years old. Like, training methods, you know, health regimens are – It happened very differently, but the only other athlete I can remember dominating at this age was Barry Bonds. Yeah, Bonds, Bonds dominated a long time. Um, I was gonna say Brett Favre got this treatment during retirement, but then you were gonna ask, well, which which retirement are you talking about? <laughs> uh, because we went through quite a few of them there. So, uh, oh, before we get out of here, too, by the way, as I'm talking about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that is a reminder: if you haven't already, you can still jump in and play the playoff challenge. Uh, you can visit playoffchallenge.fantasy.nfl.com. I know that's a mouthful. If you just Google NFL playoff challenge, the link will pop up and take you right there. Uh, I know some of you are already in playing. For those of you who haven't, uh, get in. It's at least fun, something to kind of keep an eye on for the last couple of weeks of the NFL postseason that you can do there uh, and just kind of enjoy yourself, enjoy the games uh, as you are watching along. All right. In the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, do vegetarians love animals? Do they just hate plants? Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you on Thursday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 